Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. This is your home for inspiring conversations with women leading the way throughout the automotive spaces. I'm your host, Amanda Busick, and the power of this podcast is in the strength of this community. We believe that high tides rise all ships into each of you collaborating together to steer this ship forward. We see you, we recognize you, and we salute you. It's time to set sail. Another episode of Women Shifting Gears starts now. The self-proclaimed realist Taylor Hagler is no nonsense when it comes to her pursuit of being a race car driver. In just her fourth season of racing, Taylor became the first ever female to win an IMSA TCR championship and the second female to ever win a championship in the series. With goals of racing Le Mans one day, Taylor focuses her energy on continuing to build off the achievements she has already found. The 26-year-old joins the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings to discuss her transition from horses to horsepower, her accomplishments of this past season, and why a sponsor should invest in Taylor Hagler. Teasing what may come her way in 2022, Taylor will enter into her fifth season of racing with continued opportunities on the horizon. Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. Taylor Hagler joins us on the show this week. And Taylor is a young up and coming female motorsport driver, races in a couple of different series. And looking over your resume, Taylor, 2021 was your best year on record yet. I see that you were the IMSA TCR champion. You were the SRO rookie of the year. You also had four wins across 2021. When you look up at the theme of what this year was for yourself, how would you define it? I think the theme of this year would really just be like learning. Um, I mean, obviously, I did two different series and two completely different cars. So it was a lot of going back and forth between front wheel drive to rear wheel drive from 300 horsepower to 500 to 600. So I think I think the massive theme and the big learning curve was just learning seat time new tracks, new teammates, new coaches, just a year of learning. (laughs) When you look at uh, the year that you had in 2021, in December of last year, what were your hopes and anticipations on the upcoming year? Uh, I mean, not to be redundant, but my hopes were really just learning. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time under my belt in a race car. So coming out of 2020 and having the pretty hard year that we had into 21, then going into some newer teams and better cars and bigger cars. It was really just going to be about acclimating as fast as possible and learning as fast as possible and kind of just taking the steps to get where um, I needed to be at the end of the year. I don't think anyone really anticipated that I would do as well as as we did. Um, Championship was never really in the forefront. It wasn't the goal. The goal was really just learning the team, learning the car, learning my co-driver and all of that. And then kind of from there, seeing what we can do the next years. But I think we we achieved all of the expectations that we could have plus more. So I think going forward, it's just going to be continuing to learn. I'm a big believer in you can always learn something regardless of how good you are. There's always something that you can improve on. There's always something that you can learn. So going forward, I think it's just going to be continue learning and hope for another championship. How are you with expectations on yourself? I try and keep my expectations on myself pretty low. That's how I was all through school, college, and then from horseback riding to now cars. I did the same thing. I always felt like if I put too big of expectations on myself, that was a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And if I didn't achieve that, I was harder on myself versus setting the bar pretty low and 
going well above that and then being like, oh, okay, cool. Like I did it. And then like, I just keep raising it. Like if it's already something that I've done, then that's kind of where the expectation bar starts. But if it's something new, I keep it pretty low. You kicked off this racing venture in 2018. I think it was Spec Miatas or that kind of foray into racing. Yeah. Uh, Why? What led you to racing? Um, I kind of always watched it when I was a kid. My dad was big into racing. Um, I mean, like he was going to Road Atlanta to watch the SCCA runoffs before 10AB was 10AB. Um, So he's always been pretty big into racing, but he was never allowed to do it. So I kind of grew up watching it from NASCAR to F1 and everything in between. And then I kind of wanted to do karting, but I also wanted to ride horses at the same time. And I was told like, oh, no, you can't do both. And at that time... My dad was working, so he was really busy. So he wasn't going to be able to take me to any of the cart races. And my mom just like wasn't in that world. She understood the horses, just not the carts. So I was like, okay, I'll just ride horses. No big deal. Me and my sister did that. And then I kind of got out of that when I was in college. And my dad had bought my sister, who's older than me. He had bought her a Skip Barber racing certificate when she was 16. I was 13, I think, at the time. And she just never used it. So... When I was about to get out of college, I was already out of the horses. I was like, well, it's just sitting there. It's still valid. Like, I might as well use it and see if it's any fun. So I did a three-day Skip Barber Racing School in 2015 and then enjoyed that. So I did a two-day in 2016. And I was like, yeah, this is actually kind of cool. So me being me, I was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to spec me out of there slow. That's boring. I want a faster car. My dad was like, no, no, no learn it first. So I did the spec Miata in 2018 and it was actually a lot of fun. Take us back to that three day school with Skip Barber. Uh, Where was it? And what's some of the lessons you learned through the weekend? The three day was in road Atlanta. I did both my Skip Barbers in road Atlanta actually. Um, Cause that was kind of the only track I had ever been to. I used to go to the Petit Le Mans with my dad all the time. So I was like, no, I totally want to do it there. Like that's the only track I know. I couldn't even tell you what we learned at this point. I mean, that was six years ago. It was, Definitely a lot for me because I didn't know how to drive a manual. So I was learning how to do that. <laughs> um, heel toe was a big thing. And then really just, I kind of want to say learning the apex of a corner came pretty natural to me. I've always been pretty good at like math and geometry. So that was all kind of just trajectories. So that came pretty easy, but it was mostly the, obviously the driving of the stick and the clutch and the heel toe in conjunction with really learning how to work the brakes and use the brakes to get the car to do what you want. And also having a little bit of confidence that the car is going to stick. I mean, you drive a regular car on the road and you're like, no, this thing's totally going to flip if I'm going 60 around a curve. And we just go get on a racetrack and we're like, yeah, 80, no big deal. So that, that was a big learning curve for me. Um, And it was definitely a lot of classroom work, which I think was really helpful a lot of diagrams on they did a lot of stuff on like whiteboards Um, we didn't really do data and stuff like that just because I mean it's a beginner racing school so like data and stuff like that really isn't it's not like an intro to racing but the coaches there were really helpful and I think it being something that I kind of wanted to get into after the first day I was able to kind of ask them a a little bit more in-depth questions and they were kind of like okay she's actually into racing like we can take her up a notch and it's no big deal. So I think that quite, that helped me quite a bit. When you look back at that weekend, at that point, did you know you wanted to be a race car driver? I think it was something that I kind of wanted to do as a hobby, but I never felt like it would be a profession. I mean, obviously like everyone dreams of being like a professional race car driver, but like I did the three day school and the two day school and I was like, yeah, this is, this is fun. Like I could, I could just do like some club stuff, no big deal, but I didn't, 
didn't ever think it would be what it is now. So how do you, what's the process then? You have this training, you did these courses, you have track time, you enter into your first race in 2018. Mm -hmm. What is that from not a race car driver to a race car driver? What all has to happen in between? Uh, Honestly, a lot of opportunity. I mean, I was able to find the right people when I did Spec Miata um, that wanted to go pro racing in 2019. I mean, if I didn't have those people, I probably wouldn't be where I am now because we would have never thought to seek out that opportunity ourselves. So from 2018 to 2019, I was able to work with Chris Haldeman and X Factor Racing and Spec Miata, and they decided they wanted to go pro in 2019. So we kind of just went with them. And then from 2019 to 2020 is when Honda had picked me up and wanted to work with me. And then 2020 to 21 was Hyundai and Brian Herta. Um, So it was kind of just right place, right time, picking up the opportunities. And uh, I mean, a lot of hard work, like the coach that I started out with in Spec Miata was very big on data and video. So I would be at the track early in the morning and then he would, we always had the RV. So we would go back to the RV. We would put the video and the data on like one of the TVs and we would be up watching that until 10 o'clock at night. And then I'd go to bed do it all the next day. It's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of seat time and just knowing the right people. When you say the hard work, uh, back in 2018, when you were doing uh, that first year for yourself, you were rookie of the year, even in, in that series. Yeah. Um, there has to, or I'll let you answer this. Would you say that there's some natural talent that you have as well? I've been told that there's a lot of natural talent. Obviously, I try and keep a pretty level head on it. And I don't want to, I, I never want to say like, yeah, I have a lot of natural talent. I feel like it comes off very egotistical, very big headed. I think there is some natural talent, but I think it's also something that can be taught. I don't think you can really teach yourself the the confidence um, when you're first starting, but I think you can you can obviously teach yourself the apex of a corner. You can teach yourself a track. You can teach yourself manuals and all of this, but I think the common sense of racing and the confidence of the car is something that has to come natural. What are some of the challenges that you face that we might not see on an on-track side? I think one of the big challenges that I have um, is really, I mean, like even me, I struggle with confidence of the car. It takes me quite a while. So um, qualifying is something that I've been working on for a really long time. Most people can go out, do a lap or two and come back in and they're like, yeah, no, my lap's solid. Whereas like I'm one of those drivers that takes the full 15 minutes. And even then I'm like, no, I still had more after that. That's definitely something that I still struggle with is trusting, not really trusting the car, but trusting the tire. I always feel like the tire is going to come out because I'm not a huge fan of oversteer. I would much rather deal with the car understeering than oversteering. And obviously that's not how race cars are driven. That's a big thing. And then I have never been like a big, like positive, optimistic person. I'm a realist. And obviously that's nice at the racetrack, but it's also kind of like a negative at the racetrack. Cause I'm very much like, no, like I know these people in this race like this, we're totally not winning this. It's whatever. The micro driver's like, no, we got this. And I'm like, no, no, we don't. No. <laughs> so that's, that's something that Michael Lewis has actually been really helpful with is trying to keep the positivity up and like, no, no, no. Like we're good at this. We got this. You never know what can happen. I'm like, okay. So we're getting there. That's being worked on. Is there a win that you've had so far that uh, is more meaningful to you than others? I mean, obviously all the wins are pretty meaningful and 
Lime Rock was a pretty big one for me, I think. Um, I've never been to that track. And then at that point, like I was the first female to win a TCR race um, and to do it with Brian Herta and Hyundai at a track I've never been to. Like that was, that was pretty special. But I mean, also like my first race with Racers Edge was also really fun too. I mean, to go from the academy to races and getting along with Dakota and Jacob so well and being able to pull out wins with both of them, like that felt really good too. You mentioned the win at Lime Rock that was uh, racing in IMSA and that TCR class. You would go on to win the championship in that class as well. Uh, the first female to win in that in that class, but the second female to win in a championship in IMSA overall. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. And I, you know, I know we talk about the stats of women in, in motorsports, but why is it important for to start seeing women achieve in these positions? Uh, I think when you see women achieve not just championships, but winning races or getting on the podium or even being talked about. Um, I think it just, it helps the younger generations kind of know like, Hey, we can also do this. And I, that's what, I mean, Christina Nielsen and Catherine Legg did for me. I grew up watching both of them and to see them driving these really cool cars and get on the podium and win races and win championships. I was kind of like, Oh, like, no, like it's, it's, it's achievable. Like I, if they can do it, I can do it. Why not? So I think being one of those people to do that for younger generations um, is a pretty special thing. I still don't know how to deal with it. I still have like young people come up to me and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to be this person yet, but I imagine that kind of just comes with time and territory. But I think having women break these glass ceilings, as you could say, um, I think we're still a long way off, but we're making progress. And I think it's showing because there's a lot of people that are coming up the ranks now. When you say that uh, progress is being made, um, how are you or are there ways that you're able to take advantage of some of those opportunities? I haven't been yet. And this is kind of the thing that I've been like learning is I feel like sometimes there are opportunities for women. I feel like sometimes there's not. Like I, I was very fortunate that Hyundai and Brian Herta was looking for a female and they thought, of all the other females in the entire world that are racing, that I was going to be the one to pull out a championship. I'm very fortunate for that. Um, And I'm very fortunate that I was able to, and that they were able to put me with a driver that was going to help me do that. But I've also been learning that I, I don't think it really matters if you have the championships or the wins. Um, I've learned that sponsorships are really hard to find. Even as a female, you would think that like, Oh, everyone would want like a winning female, but, I think the motorsports industry is wanting to get there, but there's still some areas that haven't quite gotten there. So there are definitely some opportunities, but there's definitely some other things that I feel like women have to work a lot harder for. How do you approach the sponsorship side? Oh, with an open mind. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot of no's. You definitely just have to be like, okay, it's fine. No big deal. Like it is what it is, but that's definitely something we're still working on and we're still learning. There's not a lot of them out there, especially with, getting hit by COVID last year and the stock market this year and last year, everything's kind of gone downhill. So sponsorships is kind of just like, it's also one of those things. It's who you know and how you know them and how important they are to a company. And it's all about what you can do for the company and not what the company can do for you. So we're still working on that. I think right now we're still working on finding some nonprofits to work with. So we're going to see how that one goes. Maybe we'll get something out of that. You're going to have your 2022 will be your fifth season as a race car driver. 
when you look back to, I guess you were probably, if I have your age right, you were probably 20 when you started racing? Uh, yeah, I turned 26 at the end of this year. So I was like 20, 21. Okay. So when you look back at, uh, and as you say, you're having these conversations with women that are coming up as well. Who were you then and who are you now? I feel like I'm kind of the same person. I mean, I've I kind of one of those people I grew up really quick with all the horse shows that I did because I was always I was competing then too. And I enjoyed sports that I had to be judged for, um, which I feel like makes someone grow up pretty quick. And I also had a lot of responsibilities with the horses and everything and juggling that in school. I feel like I'm kind of the same person. I try not to let it get to me. I think it probably took about a month for me to finally like understand the fact that I was a champion. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of one of those people where I'm like, no, it's, I'll just put it off to the side. It doesn't matter. So I think one of the big things is I, I like the person that I am and I don't want to change the person that I am. And my family is really, really good about keeping me very level-headed and bringing my ego down a notch if it needs to be. Well, I do want to go, uh, into some layers with the horse stuff that you were doing mm-hmm. as a child and, and moving from that into racing and the horsepower. Do you find any correlations between the competition? I wouldn't necessarily say the competition, but the sport definitely, well, I guess competition. Yeah. It was all kind of about like times and speed, but like, obviously that's what qualifying is, but the sport itself is very similar. There's a lot of similarities in the way that you train. There's a lot of similarities in the way that you prepare for a horse show versus a race. There's also a lot of differences. I mean, obviously, horses you can ride every day, cars you can't drive every day. But I mean, you don't get to actually prepare for a show until you're actually there. You never know what arena you're going to be in. You don't know how the horse is going to react just like a race. You know what track you're going to be in, but you don't really know how it's going to drive that day. Um, So it's kind of just like a learning as you go. But there were definitely some similarities in uh, the way that you ride a course and the way that you learn a racetrack. I was always able to learn a jumble of 16 jumps in 10 seconds and remember it for weeks on end. And same with tracks. I can recite most of the tracks by corner and have them all in my mind. Um, so that's pretty simple and similar. And then also like with racing, you never want to look like at the apex. You always want to look past it to the next corner. And that's the same thing with horses. If you look at a wall, you're going to go in the wall. You always want to look at where you're trying to go next. So there's definitely some similarities in the competition, how you prepare and the actual sport itself. How do you rate your competitiveness? I'm a very competitive person. I, I know how to turn it on and off. Like I can play family board games <laughs> without it getting too intense. I can't. <laughs> My sister can't either, but I can. I can. Horses, I was definitely a lot more competitive. Um, when I showed horses, I felt like I kind of had to be just because the playing field wasn't level. Um, I mean, if you had more money, you could buy a nicer horse. You could ride at the biggest barns and you basically bought your ribbons where my parents weren't that into it. So they were like, here's your cheap off the track thoroughbred, make it work and figure it out. So I felt like I had to be a bit more competitive but I feel like the racing industry is a lot more equal on that. All I mean, like all the cars are homologated. So there's really not much you can, you can change the type of money that you have and the amount of money that you have isn't going to change anything. So I don't feel like I have to be 
as competitive, but if something happens on track, like I'll kind of lose my head for a minute. So there are moments, there are moments. When we look ahead at your race career, where do you say, or where would you say you are right now? I think I'm just starting. I think I have a long way to go, hopefully, fingers crossed. But I mean, if you really think about it, like this is only, I just finished my third year of pro racing and second and a TCR car first in a GT3 car. So I think I still have a long way to go. There's a lot left to do. What are your goals? I would love to race in Europe. I would really love to do like the Le Mans, all those long endurance races over there. That's like the ultimate goal. Um, when I was growing up and whatnot, I always wanted to be a factory driver and I kind of already have that notch done. So I kind of had to come up with a new one and the long endurance races in Europe are the new goal. How did the Indy 8 hour go for you? Uh, that wasn't the best of races. It was, I felt like I kind of left a lot there because I was kind of in my head a bit and was like, it's eight hours. Like, I don't want to push anything in the first three. Um, so I think I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. But I mean, I, we kept the car clean and whatnot. And that's kind of the main thing that matters in endurance races. And I told myself I was never going to do another endurance race. And then I ended up doing one the beginning of this month. So, um, you know, I think endurance races are a lot more rewarding at the end of it. Cause obviously you had to work longer hours and working with that many people on that big of a team, all fighting for like the same goal after eight hours or 24 hours or 25 hours. Like I think it's a lot more rewarding. So the eight hour wasn't too bad. We ended up, uh, second in class, I believe. So that was pretty nice to be able to share with Dakota and Jacob versus just like one or the other. Are you hard on yourself? Definitely. I Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'll have like a really, really like crap race or crap qualifying. And my dad's like, oh, you did so good. And I'm literally like, please leave now. Get off of me. No. So if I don't feel like I did well, if I feel like I left something, I'm usually in a pretty like bad mood for at least another like hour. How do you rebound from struggles? I kind of just have to like play it in my mind a bit and figure out what I could do different. And then like, okay, this is what I can do different from now on, but I couldn't do anything in the moment. I did what I thought was best. And now we just got to move on and I know better from here on. And then you just got to hope that you have someone in your corner that's going to like laugh your way out of it and then you get over it. I know you teased a countdown on your social media to the next season. By the time this airs, it'll be less days than what you had said. But what are what are things looking like for you next year? Um, right now, we're still putting a couple of things together. But um, I will definitely be back at IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge with Brian Herta. Um, we will be having an announcement towards the beginning of the year. So in a couple of weeks after that. We're still working on a couple of things, so we'll see anything past IMSA. If I'm a sponsor, why should I invest in Taylor Hagler? I think Taylor Hagler is more than just a brand or is striving to be more than just a brand. I mean, obviously, with with cars going all over the world, you're not only investing in like a person, but you're investing in an entire team and an entire series. And I mean, like IMSA itself has millions and millions of viewers and all ages. I mean, I talk to kids that are four and I talk to adults that are 60 that have been watching it their entire life. So it's not just about investing in 
a person you're investing in a career you're investing in a future and you're investing in all of the fans because it's things that they all watch and things that they all use too and love Thank you, Taylor. We appreciate you joining us on the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. It is now time for the hot lap. Taylor, you are going on a road trip. What are you driving? Uh, Hyundai Palisade. In that Hyundai Palisade, where are you headed? Oh, right now with it being winter, I have been craving some Park City slopes. All right. So we're going to Park City and our Hyundai. Who's with you? My family. We've all been talking about taking a ski trip. So right now that's who's going with me. Okay. Ski or snowboard? I've never done either. Oh, are you going to? I would love to, but I am one of those people that need to be wrapped in a bubble. (laughs) I injure myself very easily. So... So you're gonna protect your your racing. Sit by the fire <laughs> by the fire, playing some snow. My sister and her husband will go ski, and then like I'll just go to the spa or something. I hear that's the best part. The après ski. I hear it's always the you know let people ski and you get yeah. to sit there and have fun. Yeah. All right. On this road trip, what's on the radio? Probably country music because that's all my dad will listen to. <laughs> and then what's your favorite road snack? Mm, Funyuns. Oh, those are good. Yeah, you can never go wrong with Funyuns. I do like a good bag of Funyuns. Well, that sounds like a fun, an absolutely fun time, fun road trip. I know uh, you don't get much of an, an off season, so I hope that can uh, maybe come to fruition for you. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, as you look back on the season that you just had and the one that is coming up, what do you hope to build on from this past year? I mean, can really only build on the championship, really. We're definitely going to work more, like I had mentioned, on being better at qualifying and trying not to give away too much. Hopeful for another championship. There has yet to be one person to get two back-to-back championships. So I think that is the next goal for me and my co-driver and my team. And we'll see if we can do that. And hopefully another manufacturer and team championship. Where can we follow you along on this journey? I have Facebook, which is Taylor Hagler Motorsports, Instagram, which is also Taylor Hagler Motorsport, and Twitter, which is Taylor Hagler MS. TikTok is a possible thing. We're still <laughs> I feel like it's always a possible thing. I've been trying to talk myself into it for um, I just can't do it yet. Yeah, we've been like working on posting <laughs> some like cool reels and videos and stuff like that. So I'm like, maybe we'll just do that, but like the personal side of TikTok, I just I don't like being behind the camera. Not for me. Okay. Well, I know our audience can't see this, but I can see this. Who is that that just entered into the screen? This is my little angel child. Her name is Bailey. (laughs) She's 15. And now you're right away. You're stepping on my camera. Well, Bailey has made his entrance into uh, the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemming. She is Taylor Hagler and she is a next generation female race car driver. Thank you for listening to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. Hemmings, your marketplace for the car collector enthusiast since 1954. This podcast is produced by GS Events.